And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and on the phone line with us today, Dr. Kevin Sherritt. Good to be with you, Dan. Kevin, it's great to have you here. Uh, this is a really an exciting time of year. Our anticipation is high as we look forward to Christmas coming. It's the time of year that the Christian Church calls Advent, and I um, thought maybe we'd discuss that a little bit more this week. And uh, I imagine that you're doing a lot of preparations in your own personal life as well as being a pastor. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the things that you're doing there. Sure. Um, of course, with the uh, the rest of the church, or at least large portions of the church that observe uh, the church year, uh, I am preparing services of worship as well as sermons uh, for the congregation that strike the note of the season, the season that we call Advent, which is really uh, a season of waiting, of remembering what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, of celebrating the Incarnation, and also of anticipating um, the second Advent of our Lord. Uh, Because in one sense, Advent is one movement, Mm -hmm. two, two phases. And so, uh, like probably, you know, thousands and thousands of pastors around the world, I am focused on uh, those texts that have to do with the Word being made flesh and appearing among us in our darkness. And it's, it's for me, the most delightful time of the year. I, I thoroughly enjoy Advent. The world also has a way of celebrating Christmas, and it's it's very secularized, but in some sense, they just can't get away from it. Um, this, this is so significant, um, the birth of Jesus, and it has these ripple effects, I guess you could say, out into society. Um, have you ever thought about that, that they, they celebrate it, it maybe in a different way, but um, they can't get away from it? Yeah, I think that's true, at least in the places where the Christian gospel has gone and taken root, in the West, generally speaking, and... Uh I certainly have noted that even the, um, the secularized celebration of Christmas, you know, the lights and the, the pageantry and, uh, you know, the songs, even the secular ones, there's a certain charm and a certain delightfulness yeah. and a certain innocence about them that I do think, in a sort of refracted way, uh, reflects the light which has come into the world. And so yes. I'm, I'm happy for even the, um, you know, the sort of... Uh, not the materialism, of course, not, not that, but the sort of frivolity and, and joy and light that the season brings uh, to, to all men, even men who aren't Christian, sort of pick it up somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I remember years and years ago, we used to work together, actually, at, at a major corporation, and we've both since left. <laughs> you by choice, me not by choice. <laughs> and... Um, I recall that when this time of year rolled around, I believe you like to take some vacation time and just really enjoy this time of year. That's very true. I, I think my favorite week of the year is the week with Thanksgiving in it on yes. Thursday, and usually that Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. Yeah, right. Where where many, many churches begin to uh, focus on the celebration of the Incarnation. Advent usually has four Sundays, and then the celebration of the actual appearance, the Nativity of our Lord on Christmas Day. Mm. And the celebration continues even 
for a few weeks after Christmas where we celebrate things like, you know, the epiphany of the Lord where the, the Magi come and, uh, and bring their gifts, and then the moving into Jesus' historical life finally in January by remembering and celebrating his baptism. But that particular week, Thanksgiving and the first week of Advent, uh, that's more goodness and joy and delight than any creature deserves. <laughs> well, we're just we're just enjoying worship uh, with God's people during this time of year. It's just, it's precious. It's wonderful. Um, before we take our break, maybe you can wet our whistle to what's going to come uh, after the break, but uh, let's talk just um, for about a couple of minutes here. This is a significant event in history. Um, can you talk to us about um, the Incarnation, and why is that unique uh, among the religions of the world? Well, it's unique in a lot of ways. The, I guess the central way is that in the Christian religion, God becomes flesh, takes on our human nature, becomes a man in a concrete, open, public, and historical way, as, as opposed to some mythological stories from other religions where gods become men. And that, that itself is not necessarily a completely unique concept. But the fact that God himself becomes a man in Jesus of Nazareth, you know, born under Caesar Augustus, crucified, as the Apostles' Creed says, under Pontius Pilate. Uh, a, a man who was, as, as the Apostle John says, uh, heard and seen and looked upon and touched and handled um, in open history. That is what makes the Christian uh, gospel and the Christian story uh, unique. Uh, this is not a story about a particular anointed religious leader going into a cave mm-hmm. or having a mystical vision and receiving a book. This is a story about God coming among us and walking among us in fulfillment of all the great longing and the prophecies and the promises and the whole ordeal of Israel's history. Mm-hmm. And this story, which is an account, this story seems like it never gets old. Um, rather, it becomes more appreciated as we get older and there's different levels of appreciation, at least in my own life, as I, I contemplate all that there is to know, and I don't know it all, but many of the things that there are to know about the Christian faith and about God becoming man um, to, to seek us. Yeah, I think that's right. There's a certain unfathomableness to this, a certain depth that cannot be sounded. You go back yeah. to the story, it seems like a simple story, yet it has nourished and nurtured and drawn out the devotion, the poetry. Think of the hymnody, the singing <laughs> that the, the event of the Incarnation has bequeathed on the world. Yes. All of the hymnody of the Church, you know, down to things like Handel's Messiah. Um, there's, there is, you are right, um, a, uh, a depth here that keeps giving. It, it is like um, Augustine said in a slightly different context. It's ever ancient, but it's ever new. Mm, yeah, exactly. Well, what we'll do is we'll take a short break. Um, today we're talking with Dr. Kevin Sherritt, and we're talking about Christmas yet to come and during this time of Advent. 
It's a very exciting time for us. Stay with us. We'll be right back after the break. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining us on the phone line today, Dr. Kevin Sherritt. We're talking about Advent, and uh, we touched briefly upon the significance of God becoming man and uh, how that this... Uh, time of year just doesn't grow old. If anything, our appreciation of it grows uh, greater and deeper over time. Uh, Kevin, can you help us understand this? Um, why do we celebrate Advent? Why do we, if you will, why do we do Advent? Can you help us with that question? Sure, Dan. I think it's a good question. It comes to people's mind often at this time of year because some churches don't don't celebrate it. They might feel that, well, if certain churches do it, then we're not going to do it, or um, it's not expressly commanded in the Bible that we celebrate Advent and the like. Or they may say that every Sunday is a celebration of Christ's incarnation, which is, of course, true. Um, but what it turns out is that in our time, in, in, in and across a year, let's say, of the church's life, some ordering, some sequencing of that time uh, to serve the church, to remember the mighty acts of God, to focus on the biblical documents and witness is necessary. Somebody has to order that time, and so it turns out that the church, in her wisdom through the centuries, has created uh, what we call the church year. And Protestants, many of them, have used it and, uh, and use it with a certain amount of freedom, use it in an evangelical manner. Um, most Protestants use the parts of the church year which focus on Israel's history, uh, you know, the Old Testament uh, culminating in, in Advent and then following the historical life of Jesus. Uh, these are all biblical themes, biblical events, and we need to set some time apart to remember them in a focused way. Otherwise, um, it might turn out that we are left to our own devices or the idiosyncrasies of our, our current leadership or our pastor. And so there's a lot of wisdom in the church here. It's not mandatory. It's not required. But it does reflect the church's um, thinking on how um, the church through history should remember 
Israel and its consummation in Jesus Christ. And so that's why we celebrate Advent, not, not because we think, oh, you have to do it this way. Mm-hmm. Is there a, um, here's a, here's a different line of questioning, is there an apologetic, is there a reason why Advent is so important from the point of view of defending the faith or presenting the gospel to the unbeliever? Um, yeah, I think it is, obviously, because the heart of what we're defending is that God became man in Jesus Christ for, for our sake and for our salvation. Mm-hmm. And there I would say Advent has the two functions I alluded to earlier. It, it is an open, publicly, historical, verifiable event, right, that, that this one took on our flesh and then gathered around him authorized witnesses, apostles mm-hmm. who heard him and saw him and touched him and handled him, to proclaim that news. So the reality of Advent is that we are not simply conjuring a God becoming flesh or imagining it or wishing it. We are responding to a God who has become flesh, mm-hmm. who was touched and heard, and then who, through those authorized witnesses, proclaimed and testified and wrote in Holy Scripture this story so that our joy could be complete, so that we too could have eternal life. And they did this all in fulfillment of the whole, the whole of the Old Testament, not simply the hundreds of prophecies which come to fruition in in the Lord Jesus Christ, but the whole warp and woof, the whole texture of the Old Testament, um, the sacrificial system, the, 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 the priesthood, um, the wisdom literature, the prophets, the kings, all of those things find their fulfillment in, in he who is the prophet, priest, and king, the incarnate wisdom of God, our high priest, our atoning sacrifice. The whole thing converges upon Jesus Christ, and that in a concrete historical way, again, crucified under Pontius Pilate, and then seen by witnesses. So yes, I do think that Advent is a time when the Church has an opportunity to remind um, its, its friends and neighbors and the unbelieving world that the Christian faith rests on the open, public actions of God in history, which he himself said he would accomplish. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of something, and you've used a couple of times the, the phrase history or the, the word history, and how important that is in terms of... Um, our children's education, that we, um, we include history, um, not just social studies, if you know what I mean, but uh, the actual facts, what, what actually happened in history. And some of history might be dark, some of it might be light, but, but not cover it up and not uh, rewrite it. Yes, I, th- I think that's true. And, you know, a, a primitive, and I think, honest example of that is is the Old Testament history, which we are called back to every Advent. We remember Israel's longing, Israel which lies or mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears, right? Mm. Um, the, the disconsolate Israel, the, the Israel which has suffered exiles, the Israel which has a history of apostasy and idolatry and which has... Um, been forged, if you will, under the loving hand of God as his chosen instrument. And so the history in the Old Testament is is the history of Israel 
written by Israelites, of course, under the Spirit of God. But it's a brutally honest history. Mm. It's a history which is unvarnished. Um, and I think that is a pattern for um, mm. how we should think about history. We should tell the whole story. We, we, don't, we don't have to glamorize or, or patch up church history. It, it has, the church's history has plenty of um, distasteful Yes, and 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 wicked and profoundly unfortunate and even unChristian episodes. We ought to own them, uh, but the the secular elite uses this to simply bludgeon Christianity and to um, ignore its gifts and its contributions, which are legion to Western civilization. Mm-hmm. I was reading um, just a couple of days ago, actually yesterday, uh, the early chapters of Matthew which is a great place to read this time of year, as well as certainly the the Gospel of Luke. And it was kind of fun uh, reviewing um, things that occurred during this time. These wise men uh, come from the East. Then there's this flight into Egypt of Mary and Joseph and the young child. And God is um, protecting Jesus at that point because there was going to be this massacre of the innocents uh, by by King Herod. Uh, he was quite a quite a brutal king, apparently. Very brutal, very brutal. And that the the story there in Matthew's Gospel of his slaughter of the children in, in Bethlehem and its environs is um, completely compatible with all we know from history about uh, Herod and his behavior. Hmm. He was paranoid, he was bloody, he was ruthless, he was cruel. Mm. And so he kind of figured out from the time that he heard about uh, this new king being born, and so therefore he he goes and he slaughters these little children um, from two years old and under, you know, according to the time that, that he determined from the wise men. Um, and what was really interesting um, was that Jeremiah had even predicted this. Um, It says, uh, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Right. It's a a sad time, and yet uh, it's interesting to see how um, God our Heavenly Father protects His Son Jesus that is now incarnate and uh, keeps him alive during this terrible slaughter of the innocents. Exactly. Um, now, um, we have maybe, oh, six minutes left. Can we talk a little bit more about uh, the Incarnation and what it means to us? Yeah, that'd be good. Let me say something about the uh, uh, structure of Advent, the way it is celebrated, mm. at least in churches that celebrate it traditionally. Um, a lot of these churches, mine included, and yours as well, use a, um, a system of readings throughout the year where every Sunday an Old Testament lesson is read, uh, a New Testament lesson is read, and a Gospel lesson is read. And this system has been used for many, many centuries by many, many uh, traditions of Christians, and it's, it, it's called the lectionary. And so you get these three readings uh, every week. And if you get to Advent, which, by the way, Advent is the beginning of the church year. It's the new year for Christians. And, and the reason for that is the church exists 
and has its life between the first and second advents of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's when the Church's life starts, with the appearance of Jesus Christ, and it will come to a consummation with the reappearance of Christ, the, the, the second advent, which really has begun in the first advent. And, and that's what I wanted to point out. If you look at these readings, uh, it's strange at first to someone not familiar with it. Many of the readings are about the second coming of Christ. Mm. And you ask yourself, well, wait a minute, I, I thought this was Christmas. <laughs> I thought we were celebrating the Incarnation. Why all these texts about judgment and the second coming? And, and it's because the Church has wisely understood that Advent is a, has two poles, that the first and second coming of Christ cannot be torn apart from one another. We are not uh, waiting in any strict sense, of course, at all, for Jesus to appear. He's already appeared. Mm -hmm. But we celebrate Advent, remembering with gladness his appearing and longing for the consummation of his Advent in the second coming. And so Advent sets the Church's life between this already the kingdom has come, but not yet has the kingdom been consummated or Mm -hmm. fulfilled. And so it's very important because it, it, it takes the Church and says... We are not simply remembering and rejoicing here. We are trying to bend ourselves, to turn ourselves toward the future advent, toward the coming of the kingdom, the resurrection of the dead, the vindication of the martyrs, the healing of the creation. These are the things we are longing for as we remember the Christ who has come into the world. Mm. And we are then, then we are planted as a church with our feet between the appearance of Christ and the salvation which has come and the promise of his appearing again in glory um, for the sake of his people and to renew the whole cosmos. And so Advent creates in us gratitude for the past, a reminder that that, uh, Jesus comes out of the long history of Israel. He cannot be Scandinavian. He doesn't just drop down from heaven. He comes out of that history, but it also turns us toward the coming of the kingdom. Yes, And I think that's a magnificent way to start the church year because that's the time, that's the tension in which the church's life is always lived. Mm. And I'm, I can't resist adding this, and that is um, between these two points in history, um, the coming of Jesus the first time and his second coming that we long for, we have a lot of work to do. And Uh, Jesus has wisely and (laughs) lovingly given us the Great Commission, and uh, we have a lot of missions work to do. Yes, and in fact, even that work, I think if we we trace it back to its root in in the heart, in in the love of God, um, is grounded in the fact that Advent reveals to us that God is the great and the first and the primary missionary. Mm. God stoops down. God condescends, God uh, traverses the distance Mm. into our alienation, our darkness, our helplessness and sin, and and he seeks and he saves the lost, and he bears his holy arm in the sight of the nations. He's the great um, seeking God, the great missionary God, and therefore he gives us this commission to reflect him to the nations, to go ahead and declare and proclaim you know, his sovereign authority and his good news, his gospel to the ends of the earth. Hmm. 
Well, I see we're out of time already for our program today. We've been talking about Advent. My guest has been Dr. Kevin Sherritt. If, um, Kevin, if a listener wants to get a hold of you, um, I assume it's okay that uh, we just use the uh, email address here at the station. That'd be great. So um, that would be ministry at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Again, ministry at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. If you have a question or comment for Pastor Kevin Sherritt, uh, please avail yourself of that email address. And Kevin, just a 30-second wrap-up thought. Well, I think, Dan, that we are always drawn back to the central things, you know, the the first things by Advent. This is why it's so important. We get decentered. The first thing is that God has come and sought us. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, who has assumed our nature, who has been made like us in every way, tempted like us in every way, sin accepted, you know, he, he lives sinlessly within our humanity. And this is the central mystery of the Christian faith. And so we must be drawn back to it. And we must never allow ourselves uh, in this age, I think, where it's easy to get jaded, uh, to lose a sense of wonder and a sense of gratitude for the gospel. And so Advent is critical, I think, for the church's life and light and love in communion with the living God. Mm. Well, praise the Lord. Today we've been talking about Advent here on A Plain Answer. And a um, quick reminder to uh, check out our website. Uh, this broadcast is up there as a podcast. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. And Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me this morning, Dan. It's been a blessing. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Quick reminder, please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. Thank you.